Zero Foxtrot does not profess to share or promote the opinions and beliefs expressed by show host or guests. The Stay Zero podcast was created to provide a platform for servicemen and women to share their stories. Due to the nature of this podcast, sensitive topics will arise. Conversations about combat, PTSD, drug use, and other such subjects will occur. Viewer discretion is advised. Welcome to the Stay Zero podcast. My name is Zach. I'm your host. A little bit about me. I joined the Marine Corps in 2003 for one enlistment and one reason, to be a scout sniper. After that, I dabbled in fire and EMS, but it was time to rejoin my buddies overseas. Nine years of contracting came to an end in 2021 when I left the Colombian jungle with Naked and Afraid and found out that we had withdrawn from Afghanistan. Columbia took 30 pounds, but it showed me that it was time to reprioritize my life and get focused on my family and friends and a new purpose. That's brought me here today, talking to you for Zero Foxtrot, where we intend to tell the stories of the men and women who have sacrificed the most for this country and their communities. I hope that you enjoy this podcast. Thank you for listening. Stay Zero. I have a good friend with me here today, Eric Morante. Uh, we served together in the Marine Corps around the 2005 era. Yeah. 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 How did you, when did you join? So I joined in 2003. Okay, me too. After high school. I think you and I both came in as peer, like junior Marines, boot Marines, whatever you were allowed to say, uh, in the 2004 time frame when we got the 29 Palms. Yeah. I graduated high school 2003. Joined up after 9-11, obviously, and then um, I did boot camp from, like, July till October. Yeah, I was just, like, a month before you. Yeah. And I got stuck in the guard. Oh, so I had to do, like, three weeks security of standing force, outside yeah. of You those. were that guy. Dude, yeah. it sucked so bad. <laughs> I felt bad for him because every time we'd oh. walk on limo for the weekend. Bro, eight hours on, eight hours off, standing in, like, a six-by-four oh, box yeah. outside of an Full armory. Full gear, too. With, like, an empty rifle. Yeah. Like, it was <laughs> useless. Yeah. I remember uh, my cousin got stuck on something like and that, And that's too. probably how we linked up in SOI then was yeah. because I missed a month doing that, and then we came together, and then we went to the fleet together. Yeah. Yeah, because uh, I did my SOI training from, I think it was like October until like January um, mm. after the 10-day, like go home okay. after boot camp. Okay. Then like you go back. So I did SOI in Pendleton uh, for like, I guess the, the next three months and then ended up in 29 Palms like January 14th of 2004. And then we ended up deploying like February. Yeah, dude, it was quick. Uh, like we got there just enough to get our gear and then get Off with our, the races. Get, yeah, we did one freaking uh, pre-op, March which Air was Force Base. March Air Force Base. It was <laughs> yeah. like a four day, five day thing. Yep. And then it's like, okay, this is what Iraq's going to be like. Totally was nothing like that at all. My main memory of March Air Force Base was one of the boots lost his NVGs. Uh-huh. And our team leader said, uh, you know how much those are worth? And I don't even think he knew. And it was just like $7,000. You will all do an exercise for every dollar of those <laughs> NPGs. Yeah. And so we had like five days to complete 7,000 of something. Yeah. And it was like push-ups and squats. Oh, and dude, back, like all back at it. that time for me, it was still like... 
Oh yeah, they could fuck. That around. was still the green light, like <laughs> the, you know what I mean. Like you could still get away with all kinds of stuff. They did. Um, they did. What was some of the stuff that you remember? What did they do? Oh, to you? bro, water bowl it. We would get oh, yeah. like, and this was in country. Like, oh really? During, yeah, when we were at KV. Oh no shit. We were at KV. We were still getting like. Do you remember what Korean Village was originally called? Because it wasn't Korean Village when we first got there. I had a guy yesterday that was there. It was an LAR guy. Mm. But I don't remember what we called it before we switched it. Not sure, because it was sure. only like like 18 or 20 little like huts. Yeah, yeah. That it was, was like there. a weird neighborhood in the middle of nowhere. nowhere. Yeah. Um, I don't recall, but once we left there, that first deployment, dude, they, they made it like so big. Mm-hmm. That, that used to be like the outer edges of those buildings were our post. Yeah. Which was the camp. Yeah. Camp KV. It was just a And a then like eight months or well, six months, six or seven months later, mm-hmm. like they pushed out like post like two, three miles on out oh, of the outside oh, really? of that. They had an LZ um, that they started doing medevacs and, and things like that. So it got huge. That place turned into like a huge base. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. It's grown. It's grown drastically. No I don't kidding. know if it's still up now, but, you know, we're talking several years. But just within that seven-month time frame, we were, like I said, we were standing post on, and we would get mortared, remember mm-hmm. that, at night? And everybody would just story. go to the roof. Yeah. Everybody would just go to the roof and be like, all right, my general quarters. I'm like, well, where's it coming from? But we had miles and miles of just, like, Oh, yeah. You could see for probably 10 miles. Oh, just easily. flat. Every which nothing. way. Yeah. Um, but funny. it was crazy. It really was. So first deployment, we went to Korean Village doing uh, raids in and out of Aruba. Yeah. For, My platoon ended up Well, going, you were in third, right? I was in third. We were at the Trabil border okay. and the Jordanian yeah, border. Yeah, see, they pushed first out to the Syrian border. Yep. So we were With in Aruba. Gunny uh, uh, Mainville. Yep. We had, we at the time, he was Staff Sergeant Mainville okay. and Sergeant, Sergeant Clay yep. back then was yep. one of our squad leaders uh, slash platoon sergeant. That was a great gig on the border until our guys got in trouble for chasing dogs with a Humvee and flipped it. Uh-huh. Oh, and, at, at, and down it, at the Jordanian side? Uh-huh. They flipped a Humvee, and it ended on its side, and one of our friends was pinned underneath it uh. until we could get another vehicle to come lift it and pull him out and then medevac everybody. Damn. And I remember we showed up, and the guys were messed up from Smashed. getting flipped in that vehicle. And he was laying on the ground with a saw pointed at the highway because it was just lined with 18-wheelers stopped looking at him. Wow. It was like, I'm about to get on YouTube, That's man. crazy. Yeah, well, he was ready to shoot that anybody that approached him. Yeah. That's and, crazy. Well, we didn't have anything crazy like that happen at the Syrian border because, again, they fapped us out. So the, most of Fox Company was at KV, but they did shoot third platoon over to the Jordanian side, and then first platoon was at the Syrian border, and we were at Awalid, which was the, the border town that was there. Uh, so we did a lot of stuff with, like, customs, Iraqi, yeah. uh, Iraqi customs, Iraqi police um, at the time. But the only, like, real big altercation that we ended up getting into was that we caught a bunch of, like, freedom fighters trying to cross and smuggle their way into the border, and a lot of that stuff was being trafficked through yeah. the Iraqi army, man. So... Uh, like it was, it was a crazy situation, and it was only one platoon, you know. So at the time, I think we only had like one up armor vehicle, like a Humvee, and then everything else was high backs, and I think we had like one seven ton. Yeah. And the seven ton, because we were, uh, we used two of those vehicles to go to the to the Syrian border. Well, something happened that they were catching like smugglers on the backside of our of our uh, post there. 
that they took the seven ton to go try to chase these guys down in the middle of the desert. And the freaking seven ton driver like hit a wadi mm. and the whole seven ton just dropped, I don't know, maybe like eight to 10 feet, but it rocked everybody so that were in the back of it. So when we got done with our post at the border and we came back to the fob, dude, everybody was in the BH like getting patched up. And we're like, what the hell happened over here? <laughs> they got into a huge car wreck because they fell in the wadi and, and like everybody got rocked, man. I mean, like it was, it was nuts. Um, it was so just blind leading the blind. Like, what do you want to do today? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah exactly. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Totally different from March Air Force Base, though. Like, pre oh, yeah. I don't know that that prepared us for anything but getting more used to life sucking. Yeah. Um, and then so we got pulled back and started. We were just on a rotation of security on KV and then raids in Arutba. Yeah. Did you go to Arutba much? So after the Ripper sweep, because remember they, they Operation took, Just Kidding. Yeah, that's it. The, the Operation <laughs> Just Kidding, man. That was a... What a mess. Rip, the Ripper Sweep, I yeah. think that's what it was called. Yeah. They uh, they took over Fallujah again. This was in 2004, so they called our company to, like, basically become, like, expeditionary and just on the fly. So uh, we had to shut down um, our lead, and I think they shut down the Jordanian yep. side. We all linked up. Some of us, like, convoyed out there, and some of the guys got, like, heloed out there. Mm. And then we got dropped into Fallujah to do this two-week, like, <clears throat> excursion of— uh, House to house. Yeah, just, I mean, kicking doors down, sleeping out in the freaking Palm muddy, rubs. nasty crap water that was out there, and then join ops with, you know, the Air Force and um, tanks we're in, cordoned off the city, and then we we're doing the satellite patrol thing for about those two weeks, which sucked. Yeah. Hardcore. And then, we, and then after that, we ended up coming back to Camp KV, and that's when we started doing more of the Arupa yeah. for the rest of the, couple, the remainder of the months that were left. Yeah, that was a good pump. Um, it did suck, but, like, I felt like that was finally what I joined to do. Yeah. You know, we got back, and the general, I think, came out to Trabeel, and he's like, you boys happy to be back? And I was like, no. <laughs> yeah. That was why I joined the Marine Corps. Not a TSA agent here on the Jordanian border. Right. Uh, and luckily, they flipped a Humvee, and we got to go back and do raids for the rest of the deployment. Deployment. But, uh how long were y'all out there for? Like three, three months, two months? At least, dude. At least I don't. We weren't there very long after Fallujah, okay? Um, because it, I think the guys were getting too comfortable after that, mm. and we're just like, "Fuck this place!" And yeah. um, we got pulled back, and then it was doing those raids and, and getting stoned to death by kids in Aruba. Mm -hmm. Do you remember that? Yeah, I remember. Uh, one of the one of the guys got had to get like medevaced out of the city because. We were getting rocks thrown so bad at us, oh, yeah. and, and then when we were like incoming, he looked up and caught one right to the freaking nose. Do you? I don't. You might remember it from um, 2005 when I was with the sniper platoon. I was still with the infantry platoon on this deployment, but I had written my mom, and I was like, "Hey, these kids are just throwing rocks at us. We can't engage right. from that, but we're getting stoned to death out here." Dudes getting stitches, getting, you know, their hate. Fa I remember the f our first sergeant got hit in the face. Um, 
And I was like, could you send me four slingshots and about 500 marbles? Yeah. And she did, dude. And it was game on. Nice. The next time we rolled into a root boat, we start hearing the, the kid, like the mob. And it's like, ting, ting, ting. And I handed these slingshots to my buddies in the back of a highback. I was like, bro, you ready? And we're like, we're the very last vehicle. And we all post down underneath the wall. And as soon as the like mob starts to approach, we stand up over the back of this highback with slingshots and just drill these kids with these. And then we had a buffer, right? Then they, they knew that they had to stay within, you know, we could, you can launch a marble with yeah. a slingshot. Oh, yeah, for sure. Pretty fucking good. And those things are hard. Dude. And that was the only way we could defend ourselves. Yeah. And uh, when we ran out of marbles, we started freezing Skittles oh, out of the MRE bags. <laughs> <laughs> but that was it, dude. That was the, it was that or, and the rocks quickly, as you know, in Fallujah turned into grenades. Yeah. And so, well, that's what that's what the setup was. I mean, yeah, uh, that was the, the game. Yeah, exactly. They, mm -hmm. the, you know, the terrorists were using the kids and giving them candy and a couple of bucks or whatever or dinars um, to do that, just so that way, you know what I mean. That's a win-win for them. They don't care. Yeah, they either harass us and get close enough to throw a grenade in, or yeah. we have to shoot a kid, and that's you know a PR nightmare for sure. But they eat it up. Yeah, and that's the whole strategy. And that, that was, of an that was to see the reaction to what we we're gonna do. So after you know we so many what yeah. was it like weeks of that constantly just getting hit by rocks and stones. Um, when they started with the Molotov cocktails, we finally were like, "Hey, that's a green light there." Yeah, and they went and told the sheik of the town, like, "If that happens again." we're going to clear them hot. Mm -hmm. And it never happened again. They yep. just stuck with rocks and bricks, yep. which, you know, we worked it out. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Adapt and overcome yeah, one way or another. It was, it was, and then we took them with us in 2005 as well. I was like, I, I shot this more than I did my rifle. Yeah, true story. True story. Uh, I think I, I remember only, like, uh, using the, you know, the RM-16 or whatever a few few times. That one was a pretty slow one. They, they really started coming alive with the IEDs at the end, yeah. but they sucked at it. At, at that time, time, yeah. Because we didn't have armored Humvees for mm -hmm. most of that deployment. No, bro, it was just tarps over the freedom. I remember rolling into Karma. I was attached to like a scout team to go ahead of the company, and we were with LAVs. And shit, it might have been the guy I talked to yesterday. We didn't tell, I didn't talk about this, but I was in a zip-up door Humvee mm. rolling to Fallujah through Karma with armored tracks and you could zip the window down on the Humvee that we were in. It's like, dude, we are going to get pink misted out here. Yeah. And we almost did. Like we rolled into an ambush. There was a double stack 155s daisy chained on both sides of the road. I don't remember how many, probably five or six because it was a good long section of the road. And then uh, a 12.5 or whatever machine gun up on the hill, but no one was there to man it. And so we found it instead of getting hit by it. Right. And that was another graceful moment. Yeah, of, so it was probably yeah. child time or tea time. <laughs> right. Everybody just abandoned post. Yeah. God saved us on that day. But uh, yeah. so we, we did that one and then we came home and, and we did another one together in 2005. Five. Right. Yep. Five so, Black. What do you remember about that one? Yeah. Five uh, Black. So, so yeah. We, were, we were on the outside of Fallujah on this one. At ECP five, which was a checkpoint coming into Fallujah, right right across from like Blackwater Bridge, where they hung all those contractors and uh, mm -hmm. from the bridge. So we were there. Fob Black. We had Fob Gold, which was an Iraqi army fob, and then we had like a squad or two, I guess. There, 
we had the dam mm -hmm. on the Euphrates River mm -hmm. that we were manning, ECP-5, and then missions. Yeah. So our whole company, uh, wait a minute, we were, we were, we were strung out on that one. We rode hard and hung dude, up that wet, one, dude. That one was a lot, bro. Um, and we were seniors yeah. at this one. Yeah. You know, so we, we were junior Marines for like that first seven month deployment, came back for like, what, four or five months? And then, like, rotated back into it and had a brand new, like, drop of junior guys. And then we were the lead. Um, yeah. So then uh, that was that when you went you went to Snipers at that time? Yeah. After our first one, I as soon as we got back, I took the NDOC uh, in November and went to school in January, got out in March, and we deployed in, I think, September. Yeah. Yeah. No, we left the 4th of July. Oh, okay. Yeah. We left the 4th of July in okay. 2005. Yeah. So March to July. Because I remember then. the fireworks, bro, when we were in the airplane. Oh, we were yeah. leaving and all the fireworks. Everybody was having a good old time in the U.S. Yeah. of A. And we were going back <laughs> to the crab again. And once we got there, it's like we never even left, dude, because yeah. we went from Kuwait to Iraq on our first deployment. Then on the, we went backwards and then ended up in 29 Palms, which is another dang desert. Uh -huh. And then we were there for like six, seven months and then rotated back out. It's like we never left freaking I can't uh, imagine why nobody re-enlists. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, maybe they should do a full rotation of all the bases before uh, yeah. before you get pumped out. Yeah, so we were south of Fallujah, and we got to work together. You were you were squad leader, right? Actually, I was a team leader on okay. that on that pump. I was with. What uh, was that deployment like for you, dude? That one was harsh because, uh, like, a lot of the leadership that we had that was real good on the first deployment started to like rotate out. And then we had new guys coming in that were leading. So we had a lot of problems in 2005 just because of the chain of command. Yeah. I mean, one of our CEOs got relieved. Yeah. I at remember. the beginning of that oh, deployment. Yeah. I told and a that's story. Like never really unheard of, bro. Like, you, you're talking about like watching um, Band of Brothers and, yeah. you know, watching that, what is that, Captain, the, the guy that plays uh, Ross on Friends or whatever? Uh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, he'll it's always like, be Ross. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, you know, he got relieved of his duty or whatever. Lieutenant Sobel. That's him. Yep. That's him on, yep. on the HBO. So it's only like heard of, of stuff like that that happens in the movies or, you know, like the it whole. It was a mess. It really was. It was a mess. And I, then again, um, at the rank that we were at at the time, it's like we really didn't hear what was really going on, but we kind of got a just of it. It had to get real stupid. And I remember an entire platoon requested mass walked into the COC, put a letter on the first sergeant's desk, and refused to work until the colonel came. And I was on a mission out at that time, and I came back and was like, oh, what's going to happen now? Because yeah. I had my own beef with that CO. Yeah. Um, I told a story on one of the previous ones where he told my sniper team to sneak off the base and try to sneak back in and see if the posts would catch us because he wanted to know if they were sleeping. I was wow. like, you fucking kidding me, dude? Yeah, so we're going to get popped. Yeah, right? Like, they're either sleeping and you got them, or they're not and I get shot. Yeah. And so, uh, luckily, the, the XO, I think you remember him, McCoy. Oh, man, he was bad. Solid. Badass, Solid. Dude. Yeah, he, he was great. Um, helped me out with that one. But, yeah, it wasn't... Uh, wasn't a great moment for no, us. No, that was a, that was a weird little deployment, man. We had a bunch of stuff going on that that year. Uh, the December first, the IEDs and the suicide uh, bombers were starting to get a little bit more like yeah. technical and precise. Um, we had that whole changeover of like the first uh, CO leaving. I remember we were we had uh, I don't know if you remember Saucy. He came he came to us from a different. Um, 
unit, and he was like H and S, and then uh, he lost or almost lost his hand because he hit like a wire that was loose on top, and like the whole I thought power. He was a medic. No, 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 I remember. Yeah, he they were building a post on a roof, and he reached up and he touched a power line. Yep, and, and it, it was everything just turned black. Man. You just see yeah. like this big old volt of like electricity just nighted out the sky and we're like what the heck was that and then sure enough they're like Corman and all you could hear is all this craziness going on yeah he went to they, Houston to they the met him at the mount bro yeah. he almost lost his arm I bet yeah um, I can, there's no telling how much power was getting pushed through that line yeah like I don't think I mean, they have that's quite every same single time we went into a town like oh, we'd yeah. have to pull yeah, down yeah. the antenna and like get underneath these wires because they would literally take your head off if, if you were going you know 30 miles an hour or whatever you had to keep an eye out for stuff like that mm. and it was just crazy um it was a weird little pump. And then obviously, like, right when we were about to leave, like, the December 1st, we took the biggest hit. What do you remember about that day? So I was at ECP 5, and at 5 o'clock in the afternoon is when we were supposed to go and take QRF. So my squad took QRF and was supposed to be first responders after 5 p.m. Mm -hmm. So that happened, like, right around, like, four, like 440, 4.30 time frame. Mm -hmm. So... I felt and heard the explosion, and we were on the other side of Fob Black. Mm. So um, initially, when it first happened, like, I felt the shock. I saw the freaking mushroom cloud go up, and immediately I ran to all the hooches, and I was like, hey, everybody get ready because, like, yeah, we're about, about to go to out. On, yeah. I said, we're about to go out. That was definitely us, and we got hit. Um, Did so you then, go on, on site? Did you so, go down there? No, man. Like, we went back to the vehicles. We we jumped. We already had everything staged. We jumped in. We were ready to go, and we were, like, waiting for Fox 6 to let, give us the green light. They wanted to get all the corpsmen from, like, Fob Black. So uh, since we were only just a platoon size at ECP-5, we only had, like, one or two corpsmen. Um, Do you know what happened that day? Yeah, so <clears throat> so this is what sucked about that deployment. I'm talking about the chain of command. Um I got promoted as a corporal in that in that deployment, um, and I was with my platoon. We had gotten hit by a IED, and the vehicle, the Humvee, like was demolished. We couldn't move it, so we had to wait for um, EOD and like the uh, I forgot what the vehicles are called, but they were gonna tow that Humvee out of there. So we basically cordoned off the area. And Fox 6 came out with our, our first sergeant. And uh, because it was like the first or close to the first, they were doing promotions. Mm -hmm. And because we were outside of the wire, they were like, well, let's just go ahead and take care of it now. Um, and get, you know, it's Esparza. I think it was me. And I believe it was Moss or Coco that had gotten um, promoted that day. So as we're underneath some like Iraqi's house's uh, driveway. Mm -hmm. We're sitting there at attention with full gear, M16s, like condition one, loaded, shades on and everything. We're in formation as they're clearing the same house that we're, we're sitting there listening to the, to the promotion ceremony. And, you know, they're, hear ye, hear ye, you know, all those presidents, da-da-da-da, and in the background you can hear, clear! Boom, clear, doom, 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 doom. clear, like they're clearing the house and we're outside the wire. So um, yeah. at that time, Sergeant Gould was like, fuck this. I'm walking away from it. Yeah. And he walked away. He's like, I'm not going to stand part of that, that yeah. ceremony because it's bullshit. 
Yeah. And I was like, what do you mean? I thought he was like talking about us. Like, you know, like, like we didn't deserve, deserve it or yeah, whatever. Yeah. I was like, no, he's like, they should not have done that. There's no reason to do that in the field, yeah. in a combat zone. Yeah. You know, like you can promote those guys back Once at the base that. when they're safe. And that's what happened on December 1st, man. That's if you're going to do it like that, then walk your ass up, slap it on his shoulder while he's in the stack and walk away. Yeah. Don't get him in formation. And that's exactly what happened to, at on December yep. 1st. And it, the, those guys were out on missions because we had, it was uh, three-day missions for one platoon, three-day um, post, and then three-day QRF. And then you would rotate. So it was constant, three days on you know, um, missions or whatever you'd be going on for those days, and then three days of QRF and then three days of uh, standing post. So those guys were gone. Um, I guess it was it had to have been, um, you know, the last of November, the 1st of December. Mm-hmm. And because it was the 1st, they decided to go ahead, let's go ahead and promote these guys outside the wire since they're out there. And they met up, they met, met up at the Flower Factory, which is a... Uh, uh, a sub name for a just a opening like shoe horse type of like wall that had three sides covered and mm-hmm. one way in one way out and some of the marines had used that in prior for like lpops but they mm-hmm. left their trash and mre shit and stuff here and stuff there so they left evidence of being there and they ended up having the december 1st formation to promote these guys outside the wire and they used that facility mm-hmm. and when they went there it wasn't just um it wasn't just like one platoon i mean it was hns it was all of second mm-hmm. and uh, robbie martinez was one of the ones that was supposed to get promoted that day and it pisses me off as of today because on his actual like tombstone they still got him as a lance corporal so really? they they not that they covered it up but they just kind of they threw it that they were outside the wire and that they were on a combat mission. I remember that. Which is true. Right. But they, like, failure to say they were in a formation yeah. outside the wire. Yeah. We pulled them off their mission so that uh, so we can we could go outside the wire ourselves. Yeah. Like, I don't really, I, I no don't idea. understand it. I don't, I've never understood it. No idea, it's, but. It's, it's it hard. it happened, man. And then uh, again, like we were at ECP five, and I could hear all the radio chatter yeah. going on. I mean, Fox six jumped on. He's like, "Give us all the corpsmen at five black. We need it. We need a medevac here." And this was minutes after. Yeah. And that's when they started pulling everybody off the post and everybody that was available at five black. And then we were standby just in case there was a secondary or maybe even a third mm-hmm. small arms fire type deal. But uh, I, w- I never went on site, but later on that evening, we went to Far Black and um, pulled up next to him to kind of, like, figure out what was going to happen. Yeah. And that's when you could see all the bags and uh, pieces of everybody that was, like, dead. loaded up, bro. It was crazy. It was, yeah. it was 10, 10 KI aid and then another 11 injured on top of that, which was, like, the most. The whole platoon, yeah. Yeah. And it was the biggest explosion and, like, most casualty of... Iraq up until that point, which mm-hmm. was back in 05. Yeah. So we had been there for two years already. Yeah. And never took anything that big. Yeah. But again, it was it was the chain of command that was kind of real hazy, that, that, that deployment. <laughs> yeah, it's scary to say, but um, I know. we survived that too. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it just, that's that stuck with me for the longest time because uh, like having to see the parents 
when we came back to Victory Field and doing the memorial back in 29 Palms when, you know, we ran into everybody's mom and dad and mm-hmm. we're having to face them and sit there and be like, well, what happened? Like, can you explain this? Or do you want to talk about that? Or we want to talk about how Oompa um, had, like, taken these Boy Scouts as, like, pots and pans in the middle of 29 Palms when they were out, like, messing around one weekend. And, like, they wanted the parents wanted to hear that story and how that came about. And I still have those pans, man. Yeah. Oompa gave them to me. <laughs> he gave them to me in the barracks. He was like, hey, man. I was like, uh, he goes, you do a lot of cooking, right? I was like, yeah. He was like, I got these pans. I was like, where'd you get these from? And then he told me the whole story. I was like, dude, but what are you guys doing? He was like, well, that'll teach those kids not to have uh, a fire watch anymore or whatever. Like, he just stole pans yeah. from some Boy Scouts. <laughs> yeah. Out in the desert, bro. Oh, God. As a trip. But, man, you, you, you know, some of the... The stuff that, like I said, the parents wanted to know a little bit more of the personal things, like what the guys did and I know, I've how been this very hesitant happened. to discuss it at all because I don't want to hurt anybody. Yeah, it's it's rough, man. But again, uh, that's another reason why I believe, strongly believe that we're here and God kept us alive is to like tell that story, tell these stories and kind of puzzle all the stuff that, you know, that I don't remember that you may have remembered and puzzle that together and gen- and then have the complete like full on you know, truth. Yeah, you're right. You know, so um, one of my junior guys that uh, we got blown off of the bridge was working at Costco for a while, and he lost his arm. So he got so, like, tired of, of guess, of, of, like, telling people that, you know, the same story or whatever, because people would always ask him, like, hey, how'd you lose your arm? Were you in the military? That he got tired of, like, saying that and was like, no, I was born this way, just so that way he would, like, mm. avoid that conversation. I was like, dude, like, that's, like, our obligation, bro. Like, that's that's our duty yeah. now Man. is to tell that story because they're going to come up to us because they know that we were on the ground. We were there, and then you're going to come back home and tell them that you weren't even in the military because you don't want to tell that story. Like, they want to get the news from somebody who was actually there, not CNN, not Fox News, not the fucking bullshit media, um, you know, that that's going on today because they twist things, they switch things, and they don't really give the full truth. It's just like they're covering up a bunch of stuff. So, again, I told him, he's like, dude, you know what? I've never thought about it that way, but now that you're saying it, he goes, you're absolutely freaking right. He goes. Man, I, I have decided never to tell this part of the story because I didn't want to. And, and hearing you say that, you're right. Those lessons can't be learned in blood if you don't talk about them. Mm-hmm. And man, I remember I was supposed to support that team on that movement. Uh, we were at the Jundi base right down the road from the flower factory to provide Overwatch. Yeah. We were this, you know, the sniper That's team, Guardian Angels, five gold. Yep. <laughs> <sighs> and I. I went to one of the one of the the guys and I said, "Hey, uh, I need to know where you guys are going to be this week because we're going out as well. We'd go out for you know a week at a time or mm-hmm. so, and I need to be able to link up with y'all. Where's your where are your uh, patrol bases? Like, what houses are you going to take this week?" And they laid it out. They're like, "We're going to go to this one on the first day. We're going to go to this one on the second day, and we're going to go to this one on the third day." And I got kind of mad. I was like, well, when was the fucking brief? Like, I've been waiting all day so that I could hear what your y'all's plan is going to be. Yeah, because it's like, we didn't do one. We go there every week. And, like, my heart dropped. I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? You go there every week. He's like, yeah, we go to this one the first day. We go to this one the second. This is what we do. That's why routine. we didn't do a brief. 
I was like, that's the dumbest fucking thing I've ever heard in my life. Yeah. He's like, well, don't talk to me. I don't make the decision. But I did not get along with most of those lieutenants very well. Yeah. Yeah. And so I went to company Gunny, who was cool as shit, right? And I said, hey, Gunny, do you know what these guys are doing? Like, they're, they're going back to these same places mm-hmm. every week. And you remember him. He's like, nah, pimp. Like, oh, stay in your lane, dog. <laughs> I'm like, because I was a Lance Corporal. And I was like, man, this is like infantry 101. Yeah. And so I jumped him and I went to first sergeant. I said, hey, first sergeant, do you, do you know what these guys are doing? Like, I'm looking for somebody to talk to an officer for me because no one's going to listen to me. Mm-hmm. And I got stay in your lane again. And I was like, whatever, fuck it. And then Gunny came to my room that night after all that happened in full-blown tears and apologized. I'm like, man, I don't know what to say. Like, they're all fucking dead. Mm -hmm. And that's fucked with me my whole life. I don't know if that's survivor guilt, that I knew it was wrong, I didn't push harder. Right. Um that's been the part of that story that I've been very hesitant to tell. To tell. Uh, but it's it's the way it is, man. Like yeah. these lessons are learned in blood and if we don't fucking talk about them because it is infantry 101. You mm-hmm. don't go back to the same place. You don't make patterns. Right. You know what I mean? We had that written on the wall, man. It says complacency yeah. kills. <laughs> Every time you like, use the wire, a, complacency kills, but it's, it's a like a warning or a mantra like, yeah. <laughs> or motto. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Um, uh, again, man, I, I totally, I totally feel where you're coming from. And again, everybody had a big part to do in that. But at what point, like, do you say to yourself, like, what else can I do? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I did all the green lights. I went through all the, the AO. I went through the like, you know, sit rep and I'm, you're, you're looking at all the stuff that we're supposed to be doing and you're doing it properly, but there's no follow through with it. And that's not on us at mm-hmm. all. Like we did everything like- that we could. It's not like the majority of leadership in the Marine Corps Mm -mm. is approachable. Mm -mm. (laughs) Like, how do you bring up to someone, hey, you're doing it wrong when they outrank you? Yeah. You're not fucking allowed to. See, and that's why I loved having, like, our our NCOs and our staff NCOs on that first pump Mm -hmm. because they were still instill that troop welfare, man. Like, listen to your fucking Lance Cooleys. Listen to your privates and PFCs because they're the ones that are out there on the outside the wire. Like, they see Mm -hmm. what's going on. And, that you know, that's been a a big thing. And, and, you know, when Lorette and Clay, like, came in that leadership position, bro, they would tell, like, the lieutenants, and the you know, in, I mean, the officers, you're doing it fucking wrong. Yeah, you know, and this is the way we should be doing it, and this is the way we're gonna do it. Um, which would, you know, let them know like, okay, we need to like listen to our senior advisement here instead of just letting them, like, okay, well, I think we should go this way. Uh, do you know like that that area? Like, remember that big raid that we did where they, they was, totally like, missed the uh, the area? No, where like where we had like fucking. 30 or 40 like wadis filled with water that we had to cross to go do a night op and then they're yeah. like carry this bulky ass like bridge it's heavy and like full gear in the middle of the night and then by like the third wadi they're just like just fucking leave it like yeah. and we just start jumping across the trash and the yeah. stuff that's floating in the river it's like like bro why go through all that crap if it's not even gonna like you know gonna work out because 
you have an idea, but it's not necessarily the best one on the fly. And it really seemed like there was just a, a push or a demand to do something. It didn't matter what it was. Right. Like, is this Intel driven at all? Because it never seemed to be. Dude, when I was attached with you guys, we got more Intel from like the locals. Oh, yeah. And what, like, how long did I do with you guys? Maybe like a month? So I think so. About a month time frame, we picked up all kinds of like local mm -hmm. Intel just because we were, we're out talking. there. Yeah. We're out there and we're talking to them. I don't know if you were with me on on one of them, but we were watching that village over off Patty. And, you know, you just notice things that are off, mm -hmm. right? And for whatever reason, there was nobody outside anywhere in the whole village for, for the bulk of the day. It was just dead, which is usually like a... Uh, Y'all need to, we need to be extra aware because if, if all of a sudden traffic stops and then a convoy rolls through, right? Like yep. it's magic that everybody knows. Well, when it got dark, my team, we all kind of like, yeah, there's something off. And so we took, we went to a nearby house and I had stayed there a couple of times during that deployment. I, I knew the guy to a certain degree. Uh, we had talked a few times, and so he remembered me, and I was like, hey, just a weird question. Why is there nobody? What's going on? In the, it's a holiday, and his kids were in the house crying, and he's, he's super, like, solemn. He's like, no, no, no. Um, Shit's about that time. Yeah, he's like, one of uh, a neighboring sheik or whomever tried to assassinate this one but killed his son instead. And so he retaliated by coming to the school and kidnapping the other guy's son, took him out and brought him back, decapitated and dropped him in the, the parking lot of the school with all of the kids. I was like, hot damn. <laughs> okay, I, I understand why your kids are crying now, yeah. you know. Um, but there's another world, man. Yeah, totally different. And then trying to trying to adjust with the communication and then us being in their territory and not wanting us to be there in the first place just makes them. it extra harder. Yeah. 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 But I remember, same. I remember that time, like during the time that I was with you guys, we, um, we saw that, that old man that had that donkey that was like walking in the middle of the field and we're like, where's this guy going? And then all of a sudden, like he disappeared into like, the wadi area or whatever it was, and then all of a sudden, like mortars, you see the poofs mm -hmm. start taking off, and you're calling like back, mm -hmm. and they're getting hit at Fob mm -hmm. Black, and, and they won't give me the green light to shoot him. Yeah, yeah, and then and Why then like two I minutes later, again? two minutes later, he pops back up, yep. and then he's got blankets and all kinds of stuff like covering the donkey. The donkey. Yep. I'm like, you got to be freaking kidding me! And we saw the actual poof sites from there, and they still. Denied us. Do you remember I gave Eric the green light to shoot that HG? The two, the two, <laughs> that's when all the dead goats showed up oh, out yeah. of nowhere. And, oh, then, yeah. and then they wanted reimbursement for He's that. He's just itching too. He's like, bro, let me. I'm like, oh, man. I was like, maybe they'll engage us back and that will justify that. Right. And so he launches one. And, the, and the, I remember the CO comes out after I was like, this is where they were shooting at you guys. That's where I was. You wouldn't, I don't know what else you want me to do. Yeah. You know, I, I'm just here to watch. I might as well leave my rifle at the base because yeah. all of them were just afraid to give me a green light. Mm -hmm. And so we, we walk over this little hill and there's like three dead sheep and just shit everywhere. And he looks at that and he looks at me. He's like, do I want to know? I was like, no, sir, you don't. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, roger that. And we just <laughs> kept on walking. And that's where it was like back and forth. I was like, is this... 
is this dude, you know, it's hard to read the situation. And yeah, what a time. Yeah, that was wild. You mentioned again, we it, had to pick a fight there and there too, man, because it's like, again, oh yeah. I remember several different things that happened on that deployment, man, that were just kind of sketchy. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, that, that vehicle on, what was that, MSR? MSR Mobile or whichever one was the L-shape that, like, let out going towards... There was Michigan over there. There was Mobile. There was Patty. Oh, it was down by the dam. Yep. I think it was the one that, that led out to... Camp Fallujah? I think so. I think that was... Maybe but that vehicle that we had lit up the year before was still there, like bullet holes and everything just all rusted out in the same spot that we yep. left it the year prior. The first still deployment. in the same spot. And I was yeah. like, are you freaking kidding me? Yeah. I was like, now we're even closer like to this crap. I remember that was the first time I ever run to, ran toward gunfire. Yeah. As we were walking outside down the roads and all of a sudden it was like just chaos. Bro, I got stuck up. on that roof. And everyone started running toward it. And I'm like, oh, fuck. We're, ah, I feel like I'm going the wrong way. Like, <laughs> yeah, you're going towards the flames yeah, and like, towards I'm going the, the wrong heat. way. I don't yeah. feel like I want to run toward this right now. This sounds like absolute death. Yeah, we were we were satellite patrolling and we took over a rooftop on, uh, on one of those uh, buildings. And the road was literally probably like 100 to like 150 like feet from where we were at. Mm. So we felt the heat. We felt, oh, I mean, we yeah. saw it all happen. Yeah, yeah. We opened up on it ourselves, um, but there was so much fire coming in. There was like, that. Our Carisi um, was like, dude, cease fire. Yeah, like, yeah. It's so like the whole company opened fire yeah. all of a sudden. <laughs> so I don't know if you remember, like back in that deployment, um, ACOGs weren't a thing. Mm -mm. So they gave two ACOGs per squad mm -hmm. to the higher shooters. And one was Moreno yeah. from, from McAllen area. And then the second one was me. So I had an ACOG and I was checking out the whole, I mean, I was watching these guys shake, um, saw the bullet holes. It looked like one of the cartoon things because it was like water coming out of the back. Oh, you know what yeah. I mean? Whenever they shot up the back of it. And then once it lit up, yeah. it was just full on. But we were there for so long that the tar melted onto my camis. Oh, yeah. And I was laying in the prone and I had, you know, so then when we got like ready to pick up and move, Carice was like, hey, we're moving out. And I'm like, uh-oh. I'm stuck. Uh-oh. He's like, Maronte, wake your ass up. I was like, I'm not asleep. I'm stuck to the roof. He's like, get your punk ass up. I'm like, I'm stuck to the roof. And they peeled me <laughs> like Velcro. Bro, I had camis that looked like zebras oh, wow. all the way down. They had to, they had, uh, CO had to get me like new camis like shipped in from I don't know where. But for like the next three or four days, I was walking around with zebra printed like salty camis. Cause, and I had tar on my, on my M16, my magazine, my flak. Everything was just covered in tar. Um, so it was like... I was obvious who I was, you know what I mean? So they're sure. like, let's get them in some new camis yeah. and switch them out of that. But then those camis stood out from everybody else's because they were all brand new and starchy and it was just itchy. It looked like a boot. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. We had a pretty fun mission on that one. I remember you were a little out of uniform. Yeah. As well. <laughs> That happened. <laughs> what? Why did you not have pants on? Because we ended up okay. So we did. Did you fall in one of the shitholes or something? I think I think I got like completely wet at one of the wadis. Okay. And I, we were wearing the flight suits at that yep. time. So I was attached to your team as the security element. Mm -hmm. So uh, I forgot who was running it before, but I came in with a bunch of guys that I didn't even know. They mm -hmm. were all from weapons, but I was, I guess, um, the most experienced team leader or whatever. So they put me on the security team element to back you guys up. So we were walking from place to place. Um, and then I think I ended up falling into like 
the Euphrates or one of those wadis that led up to it. And I got like soaked and my boots and everything were all just super freaking wet. And it was stinky too. So we get That's to- where they all shit. Yeah. Yeah. Because everybody goes behind their house and it all- Yep. Yep. I know. <laughs> I know too well. <laughs> um, we ended up staying at a, at a house. We took over a house and I had asked you, I was like, are we staying here for the night? You're like, yeah. I said, okay. Because I need to get out of this. Yeah. And let this thing just like dry. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because I was super. And so the gentleman that owned the house, like pretty much saw me in my skibbies and was like, oh, no, no, we'll get you something to sleep in or whatever. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, we're talking Arabic back and forth. He's like, yeah, I got some pants for you or whatever. I'm like, all right. So he pulls out like these Haji PJs, which was like blue, purple, like picnic style looking like. Uh, flannel. Okay. PJs. I thought they were SpongeBob SquarePants for no. some reason. <laughs> they they might have been. <laughs> I didn't check them out that much. I didn't. I didn't do the catwalk thing before I tried them on. But he was so, so like stubborn about it. Like he wanted me to wear those pants. Mm-hmm. He's like, no, 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 we got you. And then like he gave me like a pair of sandals. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I was like, I was like, all right, well we're staying here for the night anyways, so we won't pick up until the morning. We were gonna crash out, and then I think it was probably like within the hour time frame. Like, you came and woke us up, and you're like, hey. Um, they made us move. Yeah, we're moving, yeah. like, right now. Like, yeah. What the fuck's going on? I remember. So I was like, well, how far are we going? And you're like, dude, we're probably going to go a couple of blocks. I'm like, well, then why get back into the same yeah. sweaty and, you know, nasty freaking flight I suit? I wish I had had a camera that day. Oh, man, it would have like been awesome. Us just on patrol down the in side the of the road. Of the night, like, and one dude in these, and I swear they were SpongeBob, but maybe I'm wrong, <laughs> in these pajama pants in yeah, the back. Just, full cover, <laughs> flak, everything else is on, and like sandals, yep. and carrying everything else that I had in the backpack. That um, was a cool moment. My day pack or whatever. But it was funny because um, I remember the lights coming down the road. And you're like, get off the road. Everybody move off to the side. And he's like, fuck, I hope that's not fuck six right yeah, now. Because yeah. if he sees we're us, we're going to be in right so now. much shit. Yeah. He's <laughs> like, who the hell is this guy? Yeah. Like, who'd y'all pick up? And I then, remember I got a, it wasn't an NJP. It was like an Article 15 or whatever for not wearing a throat protector during one of the moves. There's no telling yeah. what they would have done to you for SpongeBob mm-hmm. pants. Oh, man, I was getting in so much trouble with that deployment. I got, I got in trouble for not shaving mm-hmm. on, uh, I think it was when we did that, um, what did we do on that deployment? We did a raid where it was like four four days, I think. Yep, and, over Christmas. Oh my God, dude! Do you remember I that? Like we were, I talked to Skinta about it. Yeah, we were moving from spot to spot, and mm. then we were setting up like like hasty LPOPs, and mm. everybody was sleeping on top of each other. And at first, it was like you'd lay down on the concrete, and you're like, "Oh man, this concrete feels good because it's cold." Mm. You know, and you couldn't take your flak off or nothing, right. so you're just like laying there. But within like thirty minutes. Like, you're freezing, shivering because the concrete was so damn cold and you're wet from sweat and stuff like that. So we did, like, a three-day thing where, bro, like, we didn't get a chance to, like, really sleep. Mm -hmm. And we were just pushing and pushing and pushing. And then my squad got sent out to go. And this was when we found that torture house, remember? Yeah. We found that torture house. So everybody was, like, so occupied on that. I do remember that, yes. So then they pushed us out. And they're like, y'all guys head that way, and I need you to scan, like, the whole area. Well, not even a click away, we ran into a shed, and that's where they had all the literal, like, um, uh, they were called, uh, damn, the pressure plates Mm. for the IEDs. Oh, really? They They were were, making them? Yeah, they they had all the shells there. Like, it looked like a little, like, road bump, Mm -hmm. but they were hollow in the middle, and that's where they would stuff in, like, the 155s or whatever. So as soon as you'd go over that that plate 
it would sink down and set it off. So the whole shed was wow. filled with those things. Wow. So then I came back and was talking to the CEO. I was like, hey, that, that place has got like, you know, all the all the stuff that, you know, all the XOs or the UXO stuff and they're making IEDs in there. Mm-hmm. So he looks at me and he goes, don't talk to me until you go and shave that face. And I was like, are you kidding me right now? I was like, bro, like this is a three day, like, you know, uh, whatever, of not shaving, but we never stopped. Man. And where do you want me to pull out a razor in the middle of, like, the desert, you know what I mean? That's and, one of and my, worry about shaving while we're, like, we just found my, 20 of these things. That's one of my biggest complaints about the Marine Corps' just structure of the way that they move people around. It's like once you pick staff sergeant, if you've been in the infantry, you can't stay. Mm. You get pushed over to be a recruiter or be a drill instructor right. or go work in the air wing. And so all of that experience goes straight out the door mm-hmm. and they bring some logistics guy in or some air wing guy in or a drill instructor and they put him in charge of an infantry platoon yep. who doesn't know shit about, about the fuck yeah. and cares more about the only thing he can control and understand, which is uniform regulations. Mm-hmm. If you have the right socks on or you have the right shave, it's like, listen, motherfucker, I just found the place that has all the bombs that are killing people. Yeah. Don't talk to me until you shave your face. You're screaming at the yeah. sky. Yeah, you know dude, what I mean? And it takes every like ounce of you like not to fucking like go crazy and just like want to well on somebody I know for something like that but then you're like all right well then I get in so much more trouble for doing that shit we were attached to the s2 shop that deployment as a sniper team was supposed to be um finally and I remember the intel guy that was tasked with watching all of the videos as evidence that were being kept in that torture house Mm. and that dude was never the same he wouldn't even speak and we were friends yeah. I was like, hey, how's it going, man? He was completely shut, shut down. down. And and he gave me some details about a little bit of what, and they're like, we need someone to watch all these tapes. And they just like, boot, you do it. Yeah. And and he had to watch that. And I remember they pumped, there's a big picture. I remember, uh, I think Fox 6 posted it up, but uh, of them, they pumped that house full of diesel and burned it to the ground. Yeah, they put a couple of incendiary grenades in there too. and. Uh-huh. I remember, I remember the smoke from that. It's uh, like blood we, and we hay walked, on the floor and handcuffs on the walls. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We walked in there, and they're like, yeah, you definitely don't want to go inside that house mm-hmm. at all. The whole town wouldn't wouldn't even talk about it. Mm-hmm. They, they would, nobody would bring it up. Nobody would do anything. Um, yeah. <clears throat> you jumped over. Is there anything else you want to discuss on that one? Or um, That one's been heavy. <laughs> yeah, that one's a tough one, dude. Not that the next one's any better over here. I know you yeah. lost your leg on the next one. <laughs> yeah, it just keeps going downhill from there. <laughs> yeah, you're right about the whole reenlistment thing, man. It's no wonder. That's that's what happens. They just flip it all around. It's like, well, what the yeah. fuck are you supposed to? Who are you supposed to listen to? Because all your experience just walked out the door. Yeah, for, that third, di- that for third, diversity, so the that third people get to. Was, was pretty much similar, man. It's like a domino effect, bro. From the first time we went. To the last time, uh, did you end up going on that third pump? Oh, yeah. No? Oh, yeah. You, I, ex- I extended my enlistment four months to finish okay. that out that because we had four-man teams, and that was the minimum. And if I had left, they yeah. would have left the team inoperational. Same and thing so, happened with me. Really? I was supposed to be like a partial me, huh? for that one, and I was already a squad leader for – they moved me over to third platoon. So I was in third platoon, um, went to squad leader school down to Pendleton, came back. They, they moved me from first, switched me over to third – had no idea what I was getting into when I came to third. Um, 
as the most senior, I guess, and most experienced, like, corporal, they had me on a Boots fire team, like I was part of his team. Really? Yeah. Because— uh, Who'd you piss off? Uh, shit, everybody, I guess. <laughs> no, because, see, Sergeant Walker had been a sergeant because he was in longer. He, he had just came to us because he was at— uh, he was training like officers how to do land nav for the last two years. Well, who doesn't have leadership after that? Yeah. So he, so they gave him uh, first squad, and they attached me to his squad. But because he was already established and he already had his fire team yeah. leaders, which were all junior Marines, he went ahead and just stuck me in somebody's team. Yeah. Until they figured out what was going to happen. So then, back and forth, I was like talking to first platoon. I was like, dude, like, why'd you guys send me over to fucking third if I was just going to be some boots like? Yeah. Fire team. And he's like, Corporal, you know, can I see your uh, your uh, your bayonet? And I was like, what? Like, I got it. You know, because he's like, well, I got to check everybody's serialized gear. I was like, motherfucker, like, if you don't get away from me, <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to fucking dropkick you. I was like, don't it's fucking. It's the third time today. Yeah, it's right no here. kidding. Yeah, I was like, bro, this is my third deployment. <laughs> you like, have nothing else to do right now. So man. I was going to go to the drill field is where I was going. I had reenlisted to go to the drill field after that Mojave Viper pump. Really? And I was in third platoon. They had me at, at for the first couple of weeks, and that's what I'm saying. Like, that staff NCO that had taken that platoon had just gotten off recruiting duty. Mm-hmm. So he hadn't seen any kind of combat in didn't quite know, some time. Didn't know shit about fuck. So uh, initially, um, they had me as a fire team, in a fire team, just a regular member. And then Jordan was second, uh, second uh, squad leader, second squad squad leader, and he was in my fire team. The year prior as my radio operator in that 05 deployment but he came in from security forces so he picked up sergeant yeah. so they gave him so i was finally promoted or whatever gave the title to third squad leader as a corporal towards that like mojave viper um excursion mm-hmm. right before we right before we left but shit that took a while so because again i was talking to first and then first sergeant lit up our platoon sergeant was like why the fuck do you have this guy in a fire team when he's like going on his third pump. So I trained with them for about six months and then I was gonna leave. And I heard they were going back again on that third third pump and I was like, well, fuck, I just trained as a squad leader with these guys for like the last six months. So if I leave, who's gonna step in? So I deferred my orders and I went on that last pump. So I extended. You do feel a lot of obligation like toward the guys. Yeah, man, big And time. I felt it too. Big so time, it bro. Like, well, You're I mean, imagine all the stuff guys. that we, we had, like, faced the first two deployments. Mm-hmm. And to see that same BS happen over and over again. Mm-hmm. And then we lose Clay on mm-hmm. the December 1st thing, who was one of the guys that instilled about troop welfare and take care of your guys. And, Clay was awesome, yeah. Dude, and then, and then all of a sudden, like, you know, you're like, well, I got, you know, orders to go somewhere else. But if I leave and something happens to these guys, like, how am I going to fucking feel afterwards? That's why I extended. You know, like, if so, anything happened to And them, that's usually every Marine that we know that has stayed in for so long. They're not doing it for, yeah. you know, their personal thing. They're they're doing it because they want to be there with the rest of the guys. Like, yeah. with the new ones that are coming in, they want to guide them properly and make sure that they don't get hit on some stupid stuff and learn from the mistakes. And if you don't instill that, you yeah. know what I mean? It's like, if you're not there, who's going to open up? Who's going to say something? Yeah. E5 and down is the only thing holding it all together. Yeah, yeah. Because again, I mean, this is this is words from the trail, man. If we just got the Marines to go in there and unleash them, 
they'd fucking have that place taken over in three, four days, yeah. and, which is true. Yeah. But we, we have so many chains just pulling us back on not doing our job. Yeah, you've got politics involved, and when you get politics involved in anything— it, But none of them are over there. It's true. None of them are there. Their kids ain't there. Yeah. We should, that's what it ought to be. The presidents of each country should just fight it out, and the winner gets— like, <laughs> right? Why you got to murder? We, we would be in a lot of trouble right now. <laughs> yeah, we'd be pretty fucked right now. Yeah. But So that deployment was a, a pivotal moment in your life. Yeah. Talk to me about what happened. Yeah, so uh, on that deployment, we had, again, a new chain of command, um, and—, and um, the suicide and snipers on that deployment were like high, bro, real high. We were getting hit by suicide bombers like monthly. I remember Lieutenant McCoy came to me one time with a dick in a bag. He had found a suicide bomber's dick and put it in a Ziploc. Yep. And I think he like smacked people with it as he was running. No, it wasn't McCoy. It was uh, uh, it was the fact. What was uh, I remember his name. Maybe I shouldn't say his name just because he's a professional people now. Yeah. Yeah, but, I don't uh, remember that yeah, part. The, but the fact had a dick in a bag, and he was running around showing it to everybody. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was hilarious. It it uh it progressed a lot, man. We took a lot of um, casualties that that deployment on just sniper pop fires, and then small arms or like yeah suicide bombers, and then small arms fire afterwards. But again, the command made the decision to place a post on top of an overpass. Yep, that was fully available. For everybody to use on from 10 o'clock in the highway. morning till 10 o'clock at night. On the main highway, yeah. yeah. That was MSR Mobile. They and cut right through Iraq. Yeah. And you you were on that bridge that day. Do yep. you remember seeing the vehicle? Um, bro, there were so many cars coming underneath us. Really? That you so could, it wasn't like the roads are empty and just one mm -mm. suspicious dump truck coming down. It was just traffic. No, you were just like, just picture I-10. Yeah. Highway cutting through America. Wow. And then one of those overpasses, you're just standing on top of. Looking down the road. Looking down and watching everybody coming underneath you. Wow. Um, for the first three months, we were we were uh, at a cop on the other side of a bridge, uh, just that platoon. And then when I came to like get resupplied, I don't know if you remember Hernandez from 2nd Platoon. That's a pretty common name. Hernandez from 2nd Platoon? Yeah. Um, he was manning that bridge. His squad was. Okay. And I was like, dude, what the fuck are you guys doing out there? And he's like, bro, they got us up here like in the LPOP. And at that time, it was just the bridge and like two little. Oh, they didn't have a, a little. Nothing, bro. Wow. It, was, it was like a, t a mock little post on one side, which was a fake one. Mm -hmm. There was nobody in it because it was on the other side of the bridge. Mm. And then they had just like a little area. Like sandbags. I remember the and sandbags. Some, and like the, I did a tour up there once, but I was like, fuck yeah. this. <laughs> it, was, it was horrible, bro. And we, they lived there. Like oh, they were shit. living there and they would rotate out. And I was like, how many guys you got up there? And they're like, eight. I'm like, where's the rest of the squad? He goes, well, they're standing post and they're rotating out of post. And then they're rotating us out like every two days. I was wow. like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, n do you remember ECP-5, right? Oh, yeah. So we had like a serpentine, we had a full checkpoint, we had a bat system to where the vehicles that were coming in, we would see what was inside of them before they even came anywhere close to us. Dude, this was not like that at all. There was eight guys, four on post, four off post, sleeping in like little uh, cots in between time frame. North, east, south, and west were the post, and you're watching eight clicks of highway O sites. Wow. So uh, we were up there for the longest time, and we were 800, 800 meters away from the actual FOB, which was a five-story building 
they called it Five Riviera for that same reason because I guess it used to be a hotel. Um, but the Market Square was like uh, probably like another 800 meters from the FOB, and then we were just on the highway. So we had those three little spots closest to the FOB. Hmm. And uh, again, I kind of like wanted to get briefed on the orders, like what are we doing? Why are we here? And because tanks and tracks were getting hit with IEDs on the side of the road so much that they wanted a permanent post up there to kind of keep an eye out for anybody laying IEDs. Right. But it was only like that that patch, you know, of, of what we could see, which was the eight clicks, either which way. After that, it was the same thing. They were still getting hit because we couldn't see any further than that. Um, it minimized it some, but not at not at the risk that we were taking. Just gave them a stationary target. Yeah, and we were sitting ducks, bro, sitting ducks up there. Uh, the only thing, again, that I could have done to, like, avoid that or had that happen because we tried requesting masks. We tried asking the you know, lieutenant colonel, like, hey, can you get us off of here? Or, like, really? so the lieutenant colonel came out, looked at the, the building, and he got pissed off at us because the guys that were off of duty were taking their flax off and taking their Kevlars off to sleep on the cots. And he was like, hell no. Like, you guys are still outside the wire. You guys need to be in full gear 24-7. I was like, sir, we live out here. Like, yeah, we're on this thing stationary. Every two and a half days, two guys get rotated out. My APL and another junior Marine that gets rotated out to get showers or to, you know, talk on the phone or whatever the case may be, get some, like, decent shower or whatever. Right. Um, so our corpsman, Doc, because there's only one per squad, had nobody to rotate out with. He had to stay and live on that fucking bridge. Damn. Bottle showers. I did uh, not know that. Not talking to his wife, not talking to anybody at home because he was stuck on that bridge. Man, Doc breaks my heart. Big like, time. I... Yeah, it's been 16 years, bro, and he's still in the vegetated like state. Yeah. He's not in a coma anymore, but... He can't express himself vocally. He gets fed through tubes. Uh, he has to be, like, completely dependent of a nurse 24 hours a day. And he's at home, and his son, who never, who, who didn't get the chance to see um, born, but is now 16. Yeah, she, yeah, was, she pregnant was pregnant on that left. deployment. And we used to never clown with him. Doc. We used to clown with Doc on the bridge. We'd be like, Doc, we're getting extended. You're not going to see your son being born. And he's like, fuck you guys. I'll walk over there. I don't give a shit. You know, Um uh, but it's yeah. been 16 years, bro, and uh, his son's about to, like, you know, in high school, and he's doing good. Avon's still staying strong. Um, but, again, Doc's, Doc's, Doc took it the worst out of all of us, dude. We got hit um, April 20th, 2007, probably at, like, noon, maybe, noonish time frame. And the dump truck that came underneath us was, like, they fit, they <clears throat> after they fortified it, because, again, the lieutenant colonel came on, and he was like, yeah, this is, like, un unsat. So they had engineers come in and put plywood up and put, like, a little fucking Kwanzaa-looking hut and then, and then put sandbags on the outside of that. We had, like, some seven-ton glass um, at the north and south post uh, to cover, like, the guys on the guns. And they fortified it a little bit. But then, you know, again, we had the dump truck came underneath, 3,000 pounds of explosives is what they estimated. Hmm. Blew the bridge to smithereens. Um, it blew it in half. So, like, we were on top. We flew. Some of us flew off. Some of us fell. And then the rest of the bridge, like, collapsed on us. Um, so, again, we got hit, like, right around, like, noonish time frame. And then I don't know how long I was out for. 
But I came to and I was completely covered in concrete and I had to like get my way out. Um, The crazy thing about that story is that my dad passed away like a month prior to that. And I had found out like in the middle of April because I had rotated off of the bridge. I got back to the fob. I was able to call home. I got word, hey, your dad passed away and they announced it. And I was like, fuck, this sucks. So I didn't talk to anybody about that. I told one guy, uh, which was one of my junior Marines, one of my team leaders, and then he brought it up to the chain of command, and they were going to give me, like, leave to go on emergency leave and go home. And I was like, I can't do that. One, he already had passed away for, like, it it was almost a month. I think he he passed away, like, on March 18th. I didn't find out until, like, the 12th or 13th of April. Oh, shit. So... You know, got the chaplains and everything involved, and uh, they all came to me, and I was like, fucking hot rod. Why'd you say something? Because I knew this was going to come. Mm-hmm. So I really didn't want to go. Um, but then again, uh, Lieutenant Colonel came up to me. He's like, what, what do you want to do? And I was like, look, to be honest, like, just give me seven days to mourn my father. Let me go home, like, to the Camp Fallujah and actually get on a call center where we're not using a satellite phone yeah. for five minutes right. and figure out what happened. Maybe I could send some money home. Maybe I can go, like, at the time, uh, I was real big into Catholic, uh, Catholicism, and I was a Catholic background because that's what I was raised with. Um, so I, I wanted to go to a Catholic service and speak to a Catholic preach at the time. Um, and we didn't have that. We had a uh, Protestant chaplain. So they're like, dude, seven days, that's all you want. That's easy. We'll send you to Camp Fallujah. We got weapons platoon going out there. We'll drop you off. You'll do, you know, your thing. And I'll, I think it was Al-Assad, if I'm not mistaken, um, one of those bases. But they were like, we'll give you seven days. You'll mourn your dad, and you come back and stay in the fight. I said, cool. Dude, I, I went out there, and like 30, 30 hours later, they called me back. First arm was like, hey, you got to get back over here. Weapons platoon's coming back. You're coming back with them. I was like, I didn't get a chance to do shit. <laughs> like... I had to wait around all day to get, like, one of those little shuttle buses to, like, take me in the main side. When I went there, the church it was, I think it was supposed to be on a Monday, and I got there, like, on a Wednesday. So then again, I get shipped back. I'm there uh, Thursday evening, and then I'm looking for my lieutenant, my platoon sergeant. Nobody's around. I talked to the first sergeant. first sergeant's like, yeah, man, we needed you out here. We were, were hurting on bodies. You couldn't get to seven days. You'll probably go some other time. So we're going to put you back out to the bridge. And they shot me back out to the bridge. And then Friday that morning, we get a call on the mic. And they're like, hey, requesting permission to enter friendly lines. And at that time, I was off, but I was leaving one of my team leaders in charge. And I was like, hey, you got this. You know what I mean? Trying to teach him some of the squad leading roles. And he was like, okay, roger that. So he's like, come on in. How many Vicks? Blah, blah, blah. Well, it was the chaplain. Chaplain came in. And he was like, we're looking for Corporal Morante. And I'm like, the fuck? So I get up. I'm like, yeah, I'm here. And he goes, uh, I heard about what happened with your father. And I was like, fuck, there we go again, right? <laughs> Round two. Yeah. So I was like, here we go. And I was like, yeah, I was supposed to go to Camp Fallujah and do this or whatever. And so he goes, well, I heard you wanted to, uh, like, have a uh, Catholic service. And I was like, yep. And he goes, well, since you couldn't get to one, we brought you a uh, Catholic priest here. And it's crazy, bro, because all eight of us that were on the bridge, four of us were Catholic and the other the other four were Protestant. Hmm. So what we did is we rotated Firewatch and stood post while each other had mass right there on the freaking bridge. Wow. In between, like, the midst of all the cars coming mm-hmm. underneath us and stuff like that going on. So as they were leaving, um, 
as they were leaving, one of my junior Marines was asking me for an empty bottle of water because he needed to relieve himself. And that's what we went to the bathroom in because we didn't have any of that stuff. So we were peeing in, in empty water bottles. So he's asking me for an empty water bottle, and I handed him one. I was like, look, I got one here. And then I, I had mentioned something to him, obviously talking about his piece, uh, getting stuck in the bottle or whatever, um, <laughs> playing around with him. And that's the last thing that I remember cognitively oh. before waking up after the blast. So... Um, Did your leg get blown off completely? No, it was, was still it? attached. It was attached by uh, some threads, <laughs> some needles. <laughs> um, I woke up to my eyes being closed and hearing ringing in my ears. And before I even opened my eyes, like in my brain started to like process what happened. I was like, fuck, we just got hit. And as the ringing started to die out and I could hear the screams from the guys that were there around me, I was like, shit, how can I get these guys to shut the fuck up without giving away my position? Because, yeah. again, I was afraid of what was coming next, which right. was small on fire, whatever the case may be. And at that time, dude, all I could see was pitch black. So um, I, like, lifted my hand up, and there was this piece of concrete just covering my body completely. So I pushed it up as far as I could, and I don't even know how I did it. It must have been because I was in shock and got, like, the super – adrenaline strength but I pushed this piece of center block concrete that was just highway overpass it's on my body pushed it up as far as I could and then kind of like worked my way out of it and pushed it until it like fully stood on my left ankle and after I gave it like its last final push it thudded and fell over and a bunch of like dust and sand like flew up in the air and I sat up and I could hear guys screaming you know and I'm like fuck and I'm spitting blood I got grime all over my teeth um completely change of scenario everything was bright sunny beautiful you know uh as it can be i guess where the situation that we're in to like complete destruction you mm. know what i mean um the bridge i could see it i was laying on my back i could see the bridge collapsed there was pieces of concrete car i think there was a car that was on fire um i could feel the heat off of that i was spitting grime and dirt and then i sat up flack gone Kevlar gone, freaking uh, first aid kit, because that's the first thing I was looking for. Gone, weapon gone, radio, I had no idea where it was at. It's like they, they took me out of this situation and threw me like 80 to 100 feet underwater, and I was just in a completely different world. Wow. Um, so I sit up, and I'm like, damn, man, I can hear the screaming guys crying, like, what the fuck happened? Ah, like, what the fuck? And I'm like, oh, fuck, dude, like, be quiet, man. Like, don't give away the position. How can I get them to shut up? I think they knew where you were. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's funny they what you much think, found though, out, at the time. They're like, y'all be quiet. They might find us. <laughs> yeah. Well, the thing is, is, like, I was scared of somebody, like, just coming over us oh, and then sure. finishing us off. You yeah, know what I mean? Like, yeah, just yeah. popping us off. Because you're defenseless at the moment. Completely, yeah. bro. Completely. I had no kind of way of defending myself at all anymore. And I look down, and my leg, my boot is at, like, an L-shaped fate, like, at my hip. Mm. Like, back here. Your femur is broke? No, like my, my foot oh, your was foot. by my hip backwards, like in an L shape. Like it was like this. Damn. So I'm looking at my, my boot on my right side, and I can see blood gushing out of my leg. And then my left hand, I couldn't move it at all. So I was like, fuck, I'm limited. I'm spitting, you know, grime and teeth, and like something keeps popping me. Every time I spit was like hitting the bottom of like my cheekbone. 
And then like I could see it like slide down. And then I kind of like would slush around some of the blood and spit it back out and bam, it would hit me again. I'm like, what the fuck is that? It was my lip. My oh, lip was shit. dangling off. So every time I would spit, I'd pop it up and it would hit me in the face. And then after the gravity or whatever, it would slowly like slide back down. Um, so again, no first aid kit, no nothing, no nothing. I, I grab my leg with my right hand and I start to squeeze my thigh just to kind of like slow down the blood uh, from, from bleeding out. And uh, I literally laid back down and I'm like, damn, what am I gonna do? And I'm looking up at the bridge and I see a Marine like at the top, maybe like 20, 25 feet away from me. And he's like running down the rubble and jumping down, like making his way down the debris. And I'm focusing on him, I'm like, who the fuck is that? And I look and I look and as he gets closer into focus, it was Buxton from Weapons Platoon. So I was like, perfect. I was like, QRF is here. Yeah. Like now I know backup is here and I did all that I could do. I really don't need to be like. I can scream now. Yeah, yeah, I can cry. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I leaned back and I looked up at the sky and I was like, God, like this is on you. Like I can't do anything anymore. Yeah. I said, this is all in your hands. And I closed my eyes and I blacked out. And then from there, it's just kind of like a, a like fuzz of just scenes yeah. that kind of open and close. From that Friday until Sunday, I woke up in launch tool and there was bits and pieces along the way. Like, I don't remember getting medevaced out. I don't remember ever standing up and reporting my post to the CO when he arrived. I don't remember um, the helo ride in the blot or Baghdad. I don't remember being on the surgery table, but they took the rest of my leg. I woke up in one of those two places and like two days prior, we had gotten hit by another suicide uh, bomber, but it was like closer to the Iraqi police station and we had a squad of guys there. Well, they had got sent to Balad or Baghdad to get screened because they blacked out. And one of those guys was there, Hitch. I don't know if you remember Hitch. Yeah. Hitch was there that evening and I, I came to, and one of my junior Marines that ended up saving our lives um, was pushing me in a wheelchair. And I had my left arm in a splint, my face was mangled, my left arm was amputated, they had me wrapped up. And Hitch looks at me and he's like, Marante, is that you? And I look up at him, I'm like, yeah, bro, it's me. He goes, damn, what the fuck happened? I go, we got hit pretty goddamn good. <laughs> That's what happened. They found us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they knew where we were at. So oh, uh, he like, I could just see his face just drop. I just remember the expression on his face. And I asked him for a cigarette. I was like, dude, do you happen to have a cigarette? And he's like, uh, yeah, yeah, bro, I got one. And I remember it so vaguely because it disgusted me so much. Like he pulled out a menthol cigarette and gave it to me and I took like one drag and because of, I guess the medication and everything, I, I really didn't like smoking anyways, but uh, menthols were the worst. Mm -hmm. I took one drag of that and I was like, Ugh! I was like, fuck this cigarette. And I threw it away and I really never smoked ever since, uh, well, I never smoked a cigarette uh, after that. I'm not trying to brush my teeth while I smoke a cigarette. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, uh, so that happened and then I blacked back out and then uh, I woke up like two days later in Germany in launch tool. And that's when I woke up and realized, like, when the pain finally started to kick in. Yeah. But I was more worried about my guys. So Doc was in ICU. Little Mendez, who was um, clowning around about the bottle, lost his hand from the elbow down. Uh, Big Mendez, which, you know, Johnny, um, was a partial yeah. on that deployment, too. He only had, like, dude, I think he was weeks away yeah. from getting pulled out and getting sent back home. Yeah. 
and he got his leg taken below the knee uh, on on that. He was on the bridge with us. There was eight of us, and six of us got medevaced out of Iraq. And Maroquin, the guy that was pushing me in the wheelchair, um, I don't know how, but he found a pyro in the midst of all that stuff and popped it, was able to pop it right before he passed out and fell. And that's why they sent QRF, because QRF wasn't even going to come because they thought everybody was dead. They're like, we're not going to send out QRF to go get exposed, to get shot up or whatever from small arms fire or sniper afterwards. So they weren't even going to send anybody until there was like uh, uh, proof of life. And Maroquin somehow like happened to find it in the midst of all that. And as soon as he popped it, he like did a half circle and then collapsed. And then later on that night or whatever is like pushing me in the wheelchair. Um, Another excellent leadership decision there. Yeah. Yeah. Nah, they're probably all dead. Well, um, <laughs> again, I was told by Hernandez because he was QRF at the time that they were told to stand down for like 45 minutes until the smoke and everything cleared and uh, if there was any kind of like proof. But I don't know. After that, like, uh, I don't know how long it was that we were That's out when there. You tell people to get the, go fuck themselves. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that happened. That actually happened because the guys that were out on missions and patrols ended up running to the bridge. If you're scared to do your job, just step aside. Yeah. Don't stop everybody else. Yeah. So uh, that was the weird thing about it. And then again, I don't know if the chaplains like had turned around or picked up guys and brought them back to us or what happened because from there it was like I said it was all a blur and all like I picked up since then are pieces of the puzzles of the guys that were there. Like right. my other fire team that was on the base, they ended up being security team for the LZ. Uh, okay. t- for us to get medevac. So when they saw, the last time they saw us, we were getting dragged on um, uh, Gurney. gurneys, cots, like whatever they could find to get us out of there. And they started working on dock inside of the BAH in in FOB Black. Like everybody came into the kitchen. It was a total fucking mess in there. Yeah. Um, trying to get him stabilized and bringing him back because I think a couple of people worked on dock uh, again because he was like in the worst situation. And I was told that my leg was like dangling off of the cot and I was yelling at some guys like hey dude watch my fucking leg you know what I mean or whatever so uh, I don't remember that part either like I said it was just kind of glimpses but the stories and the reunions that we've had since then we've gotten to kind of close that puzzle uh, from everybody's point of view man talk to me a little bit about how you have managed that how you've Worked with it, worked through it well, to get to your <clears throat> to where you are now, dude. Like and I really put a lot of faith in God. Like God has has to everything that has happened to me mm-hmm. is because of His like control. Um, everything happens for a reason. I'm a big believer of that. And again, I could have left. I could have I could have been in the stateside or in a plane somewhere or whatever. It, that was bound to happen to me. You know what I mean? And it was bound to happen to the squad. And it just so happened the way that it happened because he's orchestrating that. And, um, I, you know, I used to always tell everybody, hey, God only gives you what he knows you can handle. And if this would have happened to, like, any one of my other siblings or anything like that, I don't think they would have had the same outcome. But it took me a while. I'm not going to lie, man. It took me a while. I went through, like, initially I was grateful to be alive. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm breathing air, like oxygen. Oh my God, I'm alive. I don't care. Like my guys are alive. Everybody made it alive. Like I'm so happy and grateful, you know? And it's like, I'm still here, you know, like nobody at home, 
like, oh man, imagine the mess that I created uh, once they got the phone call. Yeah. My brother freaked out um, because they didn't give him the right intel. They didn't know. They told them that I had gotten hit by a sniper and I got shot in the head and they didn't know like, you know, that if, if I was unconscious, if I was brain dead, if I was this. So that's the word that they got. And they're like, he's in critical condition. Um, you know, we'll call you guys back and give you an update whenever we can. So I had just picked, and it's funny because I had switched my mom out of being the person of contact in case of an emergency to my brother. If they would have talked to my mom, dude, my mom probably would have died of a heart attack right then and there. Yeah. But because they, you know, I switched out, I, the news came to my brother, and then my brother had to break the news to my mom. And then from there, it was just a big, you know, show. Um, everybody in the neighborhood got together, hometown churches, everybody was praying. And again, um, I was so like happy just to be breathing oxygen after knowing what happened. And then it was more focused on the guys. Like I was there that week in launch tool with them and I had to be strong for them. So they were making me strong by like dealing through the pain. And then we get medevaced out of uh, launch tool. I get sent to a Bethesda Naval Hospital. Doc goes to Jersey for uh, a brain and spinal uh, cord like unit that specializes in that. May, John Mendez and Volk get sent out to Balboa in San Diego and then me and Little Mendez were in uh, Bethesda for several months. And then after that, they shipped me down because they were either going to keep me at uh, Walter Reed or they were going to send me to San Antonio to the Center for the Intrepid because of the amputation. Mm. So, so because Walter Reed was like packed at that time, they gave me the option to go back to Texas. And I was like, dude, bring my ass home. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, so I went to San Antonio and then... I got there maybe like June of 2007 and then started my, my rehab and therapy there, which took another three and a half years Wow! before they retired me. Um, do you get, do you talk to these guys very often? Do y'all have, not as often as I'd like to, but we still keep connected, man. I still talk to like Larson and some of the guys from the yeah. 2005 deployment, the December 1st stuff. I talked to gray. I just got off of the phone with Carr. I talked to Hot Rod probably like every two weeks. Uh, little Little Mendez, I just got off of the phone. Some of the guys are hard to get a hold of. Um, yeah. And then again, life life after military life happens, bro. Everybody's got kids, get married, trying to like buy a house, buy a homestead. Try to move on. Well, you know, it's, it's trying, trying to, to survive yeah. uh, and be independent. Yeah. You know, um, it's hard. A lot of the stuff's crazy, man. I, <laughs> the world's so backwards today. You know, so like even some of the guys that I talked to, like, dude, we should just buy like 20 acres of land. That's everybody's dream, isn't it? Exactly. Like we've talked about that since we were in. And and again, some people are actually doing it. Yeah. And they're being self-sufficient. And it's not like they're completely off the map, but they're not being so reliable on our government uh, to take care of us or provide for us. Um, Poison us. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, like you did that whole lone survivor um, naked and afraid thing. And I was like, dude, that's pretty badass, you know, but that's an example of like some of our guys need to like get that green light. Like, dude, like don't just depend on mm. going in the store and buying fruit whenever you want to. Yeah, you better have a plan. Have a plan B, have a plan C, like learn how to. And do. test it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's what that was. That was yeah. the test. Yeah, like that me. little sandal thing that you made on that deal. Yeah. I was like, fuck, I got to get, I got to get some of those. <laughs> oh, we've some fucking sandals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. So, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of hunting and fishing and stuff like that. I like doing that. 
just because I grew up doing it here in Texas and um, it's been part of like you know my pastime and I, I like going out there and just being part of the quiet. Yeah, we've um, been talking. You do some dove hunting here pretty soon, yeah. Coming up, man. It's coming man, up around the corner. It's, been, it's been a while since I've actually been able to go on a dove hunt, but I have been doing a lot of like recipes and kind of playing with some stuff. I had some of the guys that went out last year. They brought me back some doves, and I traded some stag and some so other you, things. Have you, do you work as a chef now? No. Did you were you doing that? I'm for just a, a while? I'm just a good house husband now. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I went to culinary were, school for you did for, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I thought you were a chef for a while, yeah. and then you were a, a boxer for a while. Yeah, like you've you've kept yourself super busy. That's what I'm saying, man. That's what I'm telling you. Like everything happened uh, for a reason. It's all been you know God's glory, but. I went to culinary school because I've always wanted to become a chef and have my own restaurant. Um, we talked about it in the core the core days. A couple of the guys opening up, you know, a couple of restaurants here and there. Or, what um, do you like to cook? What dude, your, I make do you have a genre? Everything, everything, bro. We I went to AI, which is the art institute, so it's an international uh, cooking school. Okay. You learn a little bit of everything. You okay. don't just hit one region; you hit it all. So I like mixing stuff up here and there. And I had a catering company back in like. 2010, 2011, um, and I was doing catering jobs, like on-site, on-premise catering, and I would do weddings, quinceaneras, retirement ceremonies, stuff like that, and I would just set up shop. Uh, I could feed up to, like, 300 people. Wow. You know, uh, I've done um, fundraisers, golf tournaments, all kinds of stuff, just provided breakfast or did a luncheon deal or buffet style or whatever, and I was doing that, but, again, I've always been a fighter, bro. I've been fighting mm-hmm. since I was a kid. And, you know, uh, my dad bought me my first pair of gloves when I was five, and I was knocking out my older brother's tooth, you know what I mean? So everywhere I would go with my dad, it's like I always seem to get into a fight with somebody. Well, some of his friends, like kids. Yeah. And they were older than me, and, you know, I was short and stocky or whatever. And, dude, I was, like, beating up 13-year-olds at the dude, age that's of my like, kid right now. Yeah, he's like that's why I, I love watching your kid because he's a wild man, he dude. He is. We went to a friend's house yesterday, and they had a little boy who's a little bit younger than than my boy is, and he looks at Mattis, and he's like, do you want to fight? And you could just see his face light up in my wife. No. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, there's no choking. There's no kicking. I got you. Yeah. 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 No, no just like, and you could just see his face like... Well, then, well, what are we well, going to do? Yeah. What are you going to do? Give him a high five? <laughs> he loves to just wrestle and fight. Now, yeah. I'm, I'm excited to get him into jujitsu jiu-jitsu as soon as, you know, he reaches that age. But yeah. So you, you did some semi-pro boxing? Did no, you get, what, was there a all. league you were a not part of? Well, um, you were training heavy. So I lost my leg at the age of 22. Mm-hmm. And a lot of my therapy came from the boxing gym. Okay. So because I was like at the Center for the Intrepid, which is a, an amazing facility, millions and millions of dollars are put into that place, high-tech stuff. But to me, I felt like a lab rat. Mm. You know what I mean? It's like, have you ever seen Rocky Four? Yeah. You know, Drago's like got all the high-tech stuff and he's being monitored yeah. and stuff like that. Like that's what the environment that I was in, which is all high-tech things. But to me, I'd get, uh, I'd get motivated out of going into a stinky, sweaty gym that had a bunch of bags hanging, that had a bunch of able-bodied boxers that are going in there that have been through a struggle, and they're taking it out right there in the ring. Mm. You know, they're taking it out on that bag. Is that so, what that did for you? Yeah, man. It, it brought me back to, like, being somewhat normal again uh, or being, you know, in my past because I, I kind of, like, went in there, and my coach saw me, and he was like, dude, what the fuck happened to you? I said, man, we got we got hit by a bomb, and I lost my leg and this and that, and... Um, he was like, damn, dude, that sucks. And I was like, I know, but can I still train here? And he's like, you still want to train? I was like, I kind of want to get back into it just to see how how good I can, you know, stand up. And 
I remember you had a match that you were rejected for to fight in that yep. you qualified. You met every, you met the weight. You I made the, the membership. I made the weight. I did the training. And they uh, said no. At at an hour prior to me stepping into that ring and facing an able body opponent for Golden Gloves in San Antonio, uh, I was I was told I was told to stand down again. Hmm. And this was I think I was like maybe like 30, 32, 33 at the time. So since the age of 22, I had been trying to get back in the ring for several years. And everywhere that I went, nobody would allow an amputee to box an able body fighter. So right before... Um, Did you just try identifying as an able-bodied fighter? Um, well, again... <laughs> I'm kidding. You take the picture, and the picture's from the chest up, so you yeah, submit yeah. it online. Yeah. They send you the book. Well, these days you could just... Yeah, yeah well, I mean... I mean, I if, was born with this. Plastic yeah, no leg. kidding. I mean, if, if my uh, if my, you know, if my genital area had gotten blown <laughs> off, would I qualify into the women's league and compete with, uh, you know, the, uh, the yeah. women fighter that are out, that are out there in, in their league? It's crazy, man. Like I said, this 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 world is all. Backwards I remember seeing right now. that, and I was so pissed about that. Yeah, bro, it it went crazy. Uh, but now. Again, because we started our own league here in Texas, mm -hmm. and we were bringing amputees from across the nation, and we even brought some people from outside of the the, the U.S. to come in here and fight. It's like a boxing league for people for amputees. amputees. Yeah, like a league nice. of our own. Uh, we we were competing, and we ran that for about five years straight. Is it all leg amputees or also that, arm? That point, yes. At okay. that at that point, yes. We you hit me with a plastic hand. I'm like, oh man. Fuck. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, think about Terminator. Uh, somebody's yeah, got a Terminator like, arm, oh, and they're and they're hitting you like rock 'em sock 'em robots. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but we've had adaptive boxing has grown outside of the U.S. That's what it's called, adaptive boxing. Adaptive boxing. Um, they have guys in wheelchairs doing competition. Hmm. Uh, they have guys with uh, missing. I mean, you see MMA fighters. You see. Um, uh, kickboxing, there are guys missing hands, yeah. and they're putting a glove on wherever their their wherever arm is left at. over, and dudes are getting kicked and getting you know getting rocked by by nubs, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, and with us, it was just stand up boxing. Okay. So uh, you know, we I've had a couple of guys that try to do the whole MMA thing, and they were like, okay, you can compete, but you got to wrap your leg up and you can't kick anybody with that leg. Um, so, which is you know totally cool because a lot of that stuff is on the ground anyways you it's know true. Brazilian yeah. jiu-jitsu and stuff like that so there. it's more of the technique of it with the stand-up boxing um to me I felt not an advantage but I felt like the leg was you'd get a lot more technique from using your prosthetic leg inside the ring oh and and the reason why is because you're using boxing is 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 all movement and and the way you plant before you throw a punch, so the prosthetic leg was getting worked by whatever left of your limb you have left over, so your leg is getting an actual. Workout. So do you think that it's possible they didn't allow you to compete because you had the advantage and not the disadvantage? No, it, it's a it's a double whammy on that one because they were making excuses on both ends. Mm. Like what able body fighter wants to go in and get beat and get by his a guy ass without a leg by a guy with sure. one leg, and then you know you're on that end and you're like, well, you know, you fought a guy with one leg, or you're like, well, you got you, you either a guy beat up leg. the guy with one leg and nobody gives a yeah. shit, or you got yeah. beat yeah. up by yeah. the guy with one leg and you're a total bitch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but uh, it's not man. like that. It was crazy the way they categorized <laughs> it, but 
again, like um, for our matches, we were doing up to five rounds at two minutes each round. So it's it's amateur. And mm-hmm. again, our league was an amateur league. No one's gotten pro. No one's ever been pro. They haven't allowed it so it's just far. Just dudes having a good time. Yeah. Training. And you know what? Like a lot of that himself. camaraderie happened right there in the gym. Like those yeah. six months training. Like I fought the guy that I fought on our first ever amputee was an army buddy of mine that we did therapy together and we trained in the gym together. And when they called us to come to the fight, they're like, who are the next two fighters? And we were side by side watching the previous fights. And they're like, dude, uh, you guys are fighting each other? And we're like, yeah. Shouldn't you guys be on like different ends and like hate each other? And I was like, dude, this is the professionalism behind it. Like we don't hate each other. We're not in here trying to kill each other. We're going to go in and showcase what we can do. And this is something that like makes us feel alive and, I think avoiding isolation is one of the most important things that you can do. You you lose that tribe when you get out of the military, but you got to find another one. And it's got to be men that you respect and that you're proud to be among. Right. And otherwise, it it doesn't work. Yep. And guys, it's hard. It's It's, hard to make friends as an adult, right? It's hard to make friends as a parent or as a working person because you don't have time. You're not in a barracks all day dealing with people, eating together, training together. You know, you get thrown into civilian life and, you know, you get whatever job you've got and try to relate to those people after having that Mm -hmm. experience. Yeah, it's difficult to come back down off of that high you can say, but that bar has been set at yeah. the age of 22 in an experience and a responsibility level and a purpose level and a, and a tribal level. Like right. you have brothers that you've never met all so across the world. And now it's all taken away. That's what I struggled that? the most bro. is yeah. whenever I got sent over to San Antonio and I was by myself yeah. and I don't mean by myself, like, you know, family wise or anything like that. I meant like all my guys were in different areas mm-hmm. and then I got here and I was like, okay, well I'm Corporal Morante. Uh, three years of experience, Iraq. Like, do I have a squad? Do I have a fire team? They're like, nope. You, uh, your job is to like take care of yourself. To and rehab. I, yeah. Yeah. And I was like, well, how do I do that without my guys pushing me? Like, yeah. or me, like setting that example and pushing myself towards the guys. And for uh, like eight, nine months, bro, I fell into a freaking hole and had to climb myself out of it. Um, you know, dig down deep or whatever, and and pull myself out. But was there in, anything- in the wild, and for that wild time, for that time frame, I was in a lot of murky water, bro. Was there yeah. anything specific that you remember helped you climb out of that? My son, my son being born. Yeah. Yeah. Kids, man, kids. I love kids. I love teaching kids. I love training with kids. I love seeing kids like ex- excel and succeed. And um, I've, I've just got a real heart um, towards children, man. They need to be raised and seeing heroes and seeing good role models and seeing, you know what I mean? That's what kind of like keeps the generational thing continuance like life's we've, hard it, it's hard dude it's hard and again like we took a little bit of like the shit into the stick or whatever but the generations prior to us had it a lot worse so what are we bitching about yeah you know what i mean what's the next generation bitching about because their wi-fi fucking got cut off like <laughs> yeah. while we were still writing letters <clears throat> on our first deployment oh yeah dude you know what oh I mean? yeah it's a um, two-week roller turnaround for yeah, letters and, we didn't and have... you know like stuff like that is just like they don't understand because nobody emphasizes it nobody teaches them nobody like it's just like hey just watch youtube i think they get their phones in boot camp i don't know what's going on in boot camp <laughs> nowadays dude it's so watered down but like i said it's it's uh that's what's going on it, it's that everything is so watered down now that you can't tell the difference from a- actual water to fucking you know uh 
fake water. Mm. You know, everything's all, like I said, just kind of like softened up so much and they're keeping your attention on something that's a distraction instead of, you know, learning the what I said, you know what I mean? Like teaching your kids how to survive, teaching your kids how to do this, teaching your kids the fundamentals. I'm of, going to Dallas uh, next week or 10 days from now to help a guy with a homeschool group and do a overnight wilderness survival class. That's killer. And I'm going to, I guess, teach them how to make those sandals that I made and how to make a fire and like a kind of a hasty shelter. And we're just going to sleep on the ground in the field for a night and yep. just give them an idea of that experience. Yep. And hey, if you do get lost in the woods ever, this is kind of the basics of what you need mm -hmm to get yourself out and to at least hold your own until somebody can find you or give them a plan. Right. And I don't know what story it was. The guy that is helping me with it said that there was like a child, like a three-year-old or something that had gotten lost in the woods for like uh, a week or two or maybe it was like a month. I don't know. But he had uh, he had survived it and had you know, found water and found shelter and, and hung out until he you know, somebody found him, which is, I can't imagine like my three-year-old's gone for a week in the woods. You're yeah. just like, oh, this is a recovery. Dude, my <laughs> nephew at the age of five had a full-blown 410 pump action shotgun and he was jumping on a four-wheeler into the woods and coming back with dead rabbits. Dude, kids are so much more capable than we give them credit for. It's it's this, my kid just needs to be a kid. So yeah. he just plays his iPad and he doesn't do anything. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, no, bro. It's 6 a.m. We got to check chickens and goats. Get your ass up. Yep. We got work to do. You can you can watch your show, when your whatever, when the work is done. That's and right. it's great in the summertime because it's hot as balls by noon. Yep. So I'm like, we get the work done. He's out there helping me with fences. He's helping me. Like, as he gets all, it, and yeah. he complains. Like, he's like, dude, it's so hot right now. Of like, go dunk your head in the horse trough and shut your mouth. Like, come back. <laughs> so <laughs> it's like, awesome. it's so gross. Yeah, I, I had my kid for summer vacation this, and we did the same thing where we were doing it's landscaping, pivotal. doing stuff at like six, seven o'clock in the morning, and then by like nine, nine thirty, shut it down because it's a hundred and freaking five outside. Yeah. Uh, let's let's continue back up yeah. at seven, eight thirty o'clock at night, and like in between time frame, we're finding stuff to do on the inside to keep cool and rehydrating yeah. and teaching them about that nutrition and fueling your body, and then going back out there and knocking it out, dude. I've, I've had a couple of guys that uh, had some heat strokes here recently, yeah. and they're well into their 30s and 40s, but because you were out there at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, yeah. sun beaming on you, and you're trying to plant like trees, yeah, be and just being about stubborn it. about it, like, yeah. oh, well, I'm a Marine. Like, no, dude, work. push that stuff out of the way. Like, yeah. we're not 20 anymore. Right. You know what I mean? Um, I, had a, I had a frank conversation with them about, like, this is what it is to work. When daddy goes places, he's working. Mm. And if I don't teach you how to work, you're not going to learn. Yep. It's just like throwing the football. We practice, right? Because he's in flag football now. It's like we practice so you can get good at it. You have to practice how to work. And if you can do it, you can have anything you want in this life. Yep. And that seemed to resonate. He's like, huh. It's like anything you want yep. if you just learn to work. And he's like, all right. <laughs> we, That's good because he's still yeah. young that you're instilling yeah. that into him. And, uh, trying. I'm again, trying. COVID kind of like took out a lot of the majority of the people that, you know, didn't know how to survive. It like, woke a lot of people up. Yeah. It woke a lot of people up. I work at a ranch and we, we teach long range shooting and hunting and tracking and the necropsy, all the heart, like how to, how to cape it, how to quarter it. We they teach them to make sausage still, yeah. in the kitchen. It is field to fork the whole shebang. 
And that blew up after COVID because a lot of people mm -hmm. were just scared. It's like, I actually don't have a clue out of what to do. Like I could maybe go shoot something with my gun, but from there, how from do I there, store it? Where am I supposed how to do? do? I keep it? Right? Like, yeah. I, I think I'm supposed to cut off the skin and I know that there's food inside. <laughs> What's good to eat right now? What, what do right? I avoid? What right. do I cut? What do and I don't touch? Yeah, man. It's, it's woke a lot of people up. Yeah. But but like I, I said, that, that's that, that generational part where we kind of need to bridge those gaps from the people that were prior to us that mm -hmm. used to jar everything mm -hmm. and have a storage unit where they would jar everything mm -hmm. uh, and make it on their own. Yeah, everybody's to grandparents To where like the that. McDonald generation where we're just going to go and grab, life. grab a drive through real quick and then yeah. just survive off of that. Like, okay, so what happens when that place shuts down? Yeah. What happens when the phones get cut off? Are you going to use your GPS you know, Siri or whatever maps, or are you going to pull out your compass and be like, oh, I know where I'm at because... It's funny how many of the military types or the former service members having been so closely ingrained in government recognize that issue and are trying to do it on their own. They're mm -hmm. like, I I don't want your help. I don't, you, you're just going to fuck up everything you touch. Just leave me alone yep. and I will take care of myself. Yep. Take care of your own, take care of your family, and take care of your close ones to you, man. That's pretty much all we can try to do. And find a tribe. Yeah. Find your brothers. It doesn't have to be the guys you served with. Something that tests you and challenges you and, and the, you know, put yourself around some men that you, you want to be around. Right. Something you can learn off of. Let them call you on your shit so you don't become a tyrant. Yep. Yeah, yeah I totally agree upon that, man. Um Anything else you want to share about? Yeah, so up, uh, at at the end of September, there's actually going to be a a big event out here, bro. Have you ever heard of Camp Mayberry? Yeah. Okay. Well, there's going to be an event there on the 30th of September, and we might have some adapted boxing uh, really on that day, and it's going to be huge, man. They're going to have I think maybe like 15 fights nice. open to the public. Um, they're going to have a flyover. The the guard's going to be there. Like everybody's activated that weekend, so there's going to be a huge like uh, get together and they're going to set up a ring and we'll probably see if I can get a below the knee amputee, a uh, 14 year old kid from Chicago to come down to see if we can throw him in the ring. Dude, Cause he's, he's, awesome. he's training right now, hardcore. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I'll check my schedule at the ranch and if I'm home, I'm there. Yeah. That yeah. sounds it's, cool. I don't know shit. where Camp Mayberry is at, but uh, uh, right down the road. Is it really? Yep. It ain't okay. Far. So that's why I kind of took advantage of, the, of this deal. Yeah. Um, it's going to be September 30th. I've got the flyer. Uh, I'll send it to you. Maybe you guys can put it out there. Hell yeah. But it'll be September 30th, and we're trying to see if maybe— Are you going to fight? We'll see. Ah, we'll see what happens. Dude, man. that'd uh, be cool as fuck. Yeah, uh, I've got to sit down with the commission and talk to them, and then uh, we're trying to get um, Mr. Abbott to come out because we are trying to see if we can maybe get a wheelchair match in there. Okay. And it'd be cool because he's in a wheelchair. See if the governor will box? That'd be cool to do a little, <laughs> do a little sparring uh, session or whatever, one-on-one. -on -one. Um, Who gets to punch the governor? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll see how far uh, how far we can take that. But again, we got to do some logistics stuff and kind of well, do some Well, it ought to at least kind of, you know, speak to him because he he should he has a perspective on yeah, that. Yeah, and that's what we're trying and, to do. We're trying to get yeah. disabled sports to kind of a, yeah, adopt man. and open up the games and let every kid and everybody out there know that, you know, whether your school your, life your school doesn't yeah. do it or yeah. your area doesn't do it, there are a lot of sports, disabled sports that you can join, and there's so many things you can like sign up for. I've done a little bit of everything. Uh, I trained at the uh, training Olympic Center doing bobsledding. Really? Yeah. 
Yeah, who would ever thought fucking, you know, my, my brown ass would be <laughs> on a bobsled. It's like cool. What, was like that cool fucking runnings. awesome or were you like? It was an experience, man. It was pretty yeah, cool. Yeah. Uh, it really was. I, I was Going out there in Lake Placid. 80 miles an hour in an ice go-kart. Man, it is cool until you wipe out ah. and then you flip over. But uh, it was a cool little ride, man. I, I did some training out there and, you know, there's just so many different sports out there that, like I said, um, don't think of it as a disability to like slow you down or stop you. Just think about it as a different angle. I got to come at sure, it. Sure, man. And that's all it is. Like I said, you just keep your faith on God. Let God guide you. Put your faith into Him, and He'll provide a way, um, just like He did for me and everybody else that lives on this planet. I love it, man. Thank you. Good job. It was awesome. Appreciate it. Rah. Cool. Man.